You're listening to the City Lights Podcast. City Lights is a church located in Greenville, South Carolina, devoted to building family, blessing neighbors, and bringing good news to the nations. Thanks for joining us. We're in a series right now for the summer. Uh, usually we're going through books of the Bible, but this is a series called Salt and Light. Everybody say Salt and Light. And by the way, if you ever want to get on the guest Wi-Fi, that's an easy thing to remember, salt and light. Salt ampersand light, all lowercase is how you get on to the guest Wi-Fi if you ever need it. Uh, but that's what our summer series is all about, um, how to share uh, the gospel with our lives. Um, I uh, did not grow up in a Christian home, and um, I uh, was uh, introduced to the Lord through a mutual youth pastor of ours named Isaac. And I don't remember a sermon that he ever said, but I remember that he opened his door for his wife, and I remember the way that his jokes were uplifting but yet funny, and I remembered that he seemed to enjoy life more than most of my friends, and I said, I don't know what he's following, what he's about, but I want what he has. And I think that's what Jesus means in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, you don't just have salt, you don't just have light, you are the salt, you are the light. Your, your, your message, your, your tone, your body language, like it all continually communicates what the gospel is in a common language for people. And so we took these different topics, not because one topic's more important than the other one, but because they're louder in common language between secular and, and, and gospel. Like, like, every, like people that are believing in the gospel or not are married, right? People that are believing the gospel are not experience singleness. They experience in the gospel or outside the gospel race, which is the topic I'd love to talk about next week. And so that's where we are right now is like, how do we communicate the gospel without words? How do we communicate in our patterns, our ethos, our life, our rhythm, our future, our past? And how, how would a, a marriage in the gospel be different be saltier or brighter because of the gospel. Um, if we could get those uh, gospel arrows um, up there, and I just want to uh, kind of key off of those um, as we kind of go on in this conversation, but, um, and, and I'll bring those up in a moment, but uh, just to you, Kyra, this, this is a quote that um, when we've done premarital counseling together, uh, you've almost um, always said, I remember one of the first couples that we sat with for premarital counseling, this was a line that you said, and I remember thinking about it so that the next time when you weren't there, I used that line. And the next time we gathered together, it seemed to be a line that continued to be used. And so um, this is something I would love to just start our conversation today. Uh, and we'll be in Ephesians 5 if you're interested in joining us in the scriptures. But the, the conversation today is you'll, you'll tell couples sometimes like marriage is an opportunity. Marriage is an opportunity. Like, like it's, a, it's a vow to have and to hold for richer or poorer in sickness and in health. Um, but it's not a guarantee that that will happen. Like, just because you have somebody in front of you that you are choosing to walk alongside with, and you're going to have rings and hopefully avoid divorce and avoid mm-hmm. all the, you know, skirting outside the boundaries of what marriage is in a godly way, just because you have that opportunity doesn't mean you necessarily enjoy it or take advantage of it. Right, Talk yeah. into that a little bit. What, what do you feel like that means to you when, when you talk about marriage as an opportunity? Okay. Um, yeah, I think... That's just something that the Lord has taught me um, really through watching my dad die a very sudden death. Um, I watched my parents' marriage just fold up, just, just like that, and the opportunity was done. And, you know, there's the Bible says, you know, we're not married in heaven, and it, it kind of stings um, to think about that initially. But it also puts marriage in the right perspective to say this is not forever. This is an opportunity here on earth to love somebody in a very deep way, to call out things in them um, from, you know, to encourage and to um, share with um, for, a, for a finite time. And it's not forever. And so what 
that is is an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And so um, I just feel like the Lord, yeah, taught me that um, through watching that close up and um, that lo- love does continue on and the things done in the Lord, those things continue on. Those things, those things continue to be fruitful in his hand. But as far as the establishment of like a marriage, that's an opportunity. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where that came from in my life um, is watching, you know, yeah. the, the end of a marriage um, and to see it's not forever. Yeah. yeah, I remember in 2011, you uh, went on a trip to Haiti uh, that actually followed in your footsteps to go the next year, I think in 2012, and you went in 11 or yeah. maybe 10 or 11 or whatever, um, and you came back beaming, and this girl just loves Jesus, and if you're single and you're looking for a, a, a wife, find somebody that, that loves Jesus, I guess is one of the morals, yeah. um, and she came back beaming, and this was just like, Haiti is 102 degrees, and you can get mosquito bites the size of tennis balls on your back, um, but she seemed like she was happier in Haiti in some ways than she was in Simpsonville. And she talked about the worship, and she talked about the prayer, and she talked about the mission and the community, and, and, and she just felt, Kyra, you felt um, alive. You felt like that was something where you were in your element. She's a nurse as well, and so she was able to kind of help uh, extend the kingdom through medical care and, 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 and that kind of thing as well. I was happy for you, and I was a bit sad for us. It made me feel like maybe... I don't add as much, or I didn't add as much strength to your life as I thought. And it, it made me, it sent me down that path of the ulterior, like there's an opportunity to take it or an opportunity to miss it. Mm-hmm. Of we did our vows in 2005, but just because we're wearing the ring and just because we live in the same house doesn't necessarily mean I have and hold you. Doesn't necessarily mean I bring the best out of you. Doesn't necessarily mean, like that's an opportunity that the Lord offers and it's an opportunity sometimes that you offer me in terms of opening up your heart and sharing your life with me and sharing your goals and ambitions. But that doesn't mean I have to take it doesn't mean I have to invest in it. doesn't mean that I have to nurture it. And I certainly could. We could all, those married in the room, live for 30 and 40 years and, and celebrate the 30 and 40th and 50th um, anniversaries of our marriages. Um, just because we're not divorced doesn't necessarily mean we're enjoying marriage. It doesn't necessarily mean we're taking the opportunity that God has put in front of us. Yeah, the Lord always gives us a choice. Like, if you find choice being taken away... That's not the Lord. He always gives us a choice. He gives us a choice every single day to choose to love one another, support one another, mutually submit to one another. There's always a choice every single day. There's a new chance and a new choice. So the gospel is the good news that he's changing everything. Mm-hmm. They're just repenting and believing in him, and it changes everything about us. The gospel is the good news that he, that he came for us, that he lived like us. But he didn't just stop there. He died for us. And he raised, he emptied the tomb and emptied death of its sting. And he ascended. And when he sat at the right hand of the Father, just by a position, even today, as he sits at the right hand of the Father, declares a very important word. His work is finished. He's done. Everything that is needed for our lives in work and life and in godliness has already been accomplished on the cross in Jesus' name. By grace we're saved through faith, not by works that no one would boast. He didn't stop there, but he put his Holy Spirit inside of us to finish and complete that salvation inside of us, to sanctify us, to make him like him. And anything less than that is an abbreviation of the gospel. An abbreviation of the gospel is experiencing abbreviated life, an abbreviated marriage. And so the gospel must change our marriages. It must make our marriages different. Our statistics in the church should be different from the statistics out of the church because belief in the gospel is not passive, like I believe that the moon is somewhere out there. That moon has no implications in my life, but that does. That news, that gospel news it insists, it insists that I either believe Jesus is Lord or something else. 
And if Jesus is Lord, then everything is different, including, including my marriage. So we're in Ephesians 5, and um, if, if I could, I mean, <clears throat> I'm not going to read the passage, but if you scan it, 22 through 35, we're going to go back to Genesis to walk backwards into the original intended marriage. But I just want to make this one point in the main text today before we come back to it, and that is, if you were to point to every time it says Savior, Christ, or Lord, that in the 13 verses uh, regarding marriage, one of the uh, most uh, vivid and complete and direct ways that the Apostle Paul talks about marriage, out of those 13 verses, um, eight of them feature the word Jesus. Like, do you think that Paul thinks that Jesus is important for marriage? And so, so I think what we could say about this in, in a very obvious and direct way is that Jesus is not just the margins for marriage, uh, how to not get divorced, follow Jesus. Jesus is the center of it. Like, he, was, he's, he is the integrated center, the purpose, the point, the motive, the vehicle, the whole thing. Like, he's not just something I do with the extra time I have after I'm married. He is the, the third person in the marriage in the center of everything. And without him, the marriage can't work. The marriage loses what it is. Marriage without Jesus isn't marriage, is kind of what Paul might say in a very extreme way. Going back to Genesis, though, and you can join me in Genesis 2, 3, and then we'll go back to Ephesians 5, because I think this helps to shed a light into what the good news is in light of the bad. Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden to work it. Everybody say work it. Okay. And to keep it. Uh, everybody say keep it. Mm-hmm. All right, verse 18, the Lord said, it is not good for man to be alone. Just outside, we had two guys, very competent, Tom Rolston and Matt Cochran, trying to figure out how the Allen wrench opens the door. And they were out there for two minutes until Olivia Rolston came out and saved the day and said, why don't you read the directions? And then it, got, and then it happened. Uh, it is not good that man is alone. And it's not just because of multiplication. It's because of the entire image-bearing project. The idea of image-bearing or looking like God for God and being with him forever doesn't happen without Eve. It's not complete. He said everything was good except for this, not just because Adam couldn't have babies, but because he couldn't represent God and have relationship with him completely without his sister and then ultimately his wife, Eve. Okay, so next. But for Adam... Uh, No suitable helper was found. And I skipped down a verse to verse 20 um, just to expedite things. But um, no suitable helper was found, verse 21. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made uh, a woman from the rib that he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, this is bone of my bones. This is flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woe man, woman. Uh, for she was taken out of a man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. So lots to cover there, but just for the sake of our message this morning as we move back into Ephesians 5, this is the major point that I want us to get at, is that it just wasn't not, it wasn't not good because Adam couldn't have babies. It's not good because all of the command of what Adam was commanded to do was incomplete without Eve. He was not just to work the land, but to keep it. He was not just to be fruitful, but to multiply. And uh, I want to talk about, by way of the curse, to maybe implicate like why uh, some of Adam's right hands were supported by Eve's right hand, and, or, and his left hand was covered by her right hand, and her left hand was covered by his right hand. In other words, they were complementing each other in the image-bearing project to represent God well. Mm-hmm. Um, Adam could not multiply. He could be fruitful. He could name the animals, and he was doing quite well by himself to work the garden, but he couldn't multiply by himself. And um, based on kind of the verbiage in the Hebrew, to work and to keep, um, it seems to suggest by way of the curse that Adam might have been great at working, um, but the keeping side of it, which is um, 
the, 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 more, the more nurturing side or the more um, less pioneering side of the thing, mm-hmm. then Adam was in need of Eve. And then furthermore, because God is Trinity, to truly know what it's like to walk with him and to be with him and to have relationship with him, it's not good that we're alone, let alone if it's a female or a male, that community is part of what it means to walk with God. And so for all three of those reasons, not just to have babies, but to be with God and like God and for God, Adam needed Eve. Um, and I wanted to, to point, point this out because um, I think it's important as we talk about the different complementary roles. Um, helper, uh, all throughout the Bible and the Psalms and other places, is not a demeaning or a subservient uh, conversation. Like when it says that Eve is the helper, um, God is a helper in Psalms, uh, both 646 and 54 and many other places. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a differentiation of roles, but it's not a, 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 a denoting a superior or inferior partner. And this, this is the example that, that I thought of. Me and Kyra were at the, um, at the museum uh, uh, at the f- beginning of the year. We were in the Smithsonian, and I remember there was this exhibit, and it was talking about the beginning of abolitionism. And the beginning of abolitionism came out of the Second Great Awakening. Um, you know, that would be in the 1830s. But even before that, it talked about the kinds of conversations that were happening in the early 1800s yeah. between mothers and kids uh, was already preceding uh, the social movement that took place in the 30s and then ultimately the political change in Lincoln that took place in 1860. Right. So what's the point is that women didn't vote in that election, but they were incredibly instrumental in changing it. Mm-hmm. So we think of power as tanks and ties. Power tie, power tank. Right, but, but these moms had their children doing needlepoint of, you know, different race children playing together. They had, um, they were reading them books, you know, and, and singing songs and things like this to, you know, develop, you know, in, in, in the home, uh, what that looks like, you know, and modeling what that looks like. And, and those children then came back. Are you telling the rest of it? No, no, you're great. Those children, those children then came back in that same home. And a generation later, were doing the things that they had done by needlepoint, and they had sung rhymes to. Um, One generation later, they were living it. And it didn't take long. It took, what, 20, 20 years, yeah. 20, 30 years, and they were living out what they were taught. It was a really beautiful picture, you know, of keeping and caring, you know, and taking time and getting small with a, a child and teaching one-on-one and in the quieter moments. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, I think about, and this is, again, back to history class. I guess I'm a history guy, so I care about that. But, uh, but, um, yeah. but yeah, like... It, it, you know, in, in, in the Roman Empire, like as Rome, one of the words for working, you could, because working and keeping is not like, you know, cooking versus having a job. Like working and keeping is far more integrated into what we do in life than just those two different partitioned roles, you know? Mm-hmm. But, but, but like when, when Rome would go out and conquer a territory, what they realized quickly is that they needed to keep what they attained. Mm-hmm. Like they needed to teach the culture and influence the home and set up farms because no sooner as you go and conquer a new territory that if there wasn't a society that would back that territory up by installing it and developing it and cultivating it, mm-hmm. then you would work something and never keep it. Yes. And, and, and God's command to Adam and ultimately to Adam and Eve as one was to not just work something, but to keep it, mm-hmm. to see it flourish, to see it grow. And when I, you know, have the kids and you're, you're on vacation and they eat, um, uh, 
Coca-Cola and Hot Pockets every day, that's not keeping it. No. <laughs> that's not keeping it very well. And, and, and that's not an excuse for me to say, I, well, I just, I'm not as good at cooking, so I shouldn't cook. No, that's you showing me and teaching You're me good what, what, as time goes on, hopefully I'm growing and following you on it. But like, I, you know, like that's, that's teaching me, like my, my image bearing role is not complete if it's only working and not keeping. If it doesn't have a sense of establishing the work that's been done. And that's what I see in the passage of Genesis I know we didn't talk about this, but, and I don't mean to pull us off track, but I've been studying a lot through, I've been doing my quiet time in Proverbs, and over and over and over again. I've never read it one chapter a day like this, and each chapter opens up. It says, like, listen to your mother and your father. Tie these things around your neck. Wear them on your head. Like, I'm going to teach you wisdom. And it goes on later, and it, it has this, personification, this imagery of lady wisdom in Proverbs. Yeah. And later says, you know, I was with I was with God at the creation. Wisdom was. And it and and as you watch this book unfold, it's speaking not necessarily to the to the moment, but the moments that will come and the things that will be built and the things that take time. And wisdom just oversees the whole thing. So she's like, I was it's a picture of Christ. It's wisdom, and um, but it's it, through the book. It's personified as a as a woman, lady wisdom. She stands on the street corner. She you know calls you have you know understanding, seek understanding, and um, it's just a it's a more long um, road than a quick conquering. But mm-hmm. as you're you know talking about you know um, trans, transforming a mm-hmm. culture, and um, it's just it's just a longer road. I guess is the point yeah. that I have with, with wisdom. And, and, and I think that God, you know, there is a, a, the helper, of the Holy Spirit being a helper. You know, there's flavor to that. There's everyday um, depth and flavor, and, it, and, it, and it's for the long haul yeah. Yeah, of development. Um, lots to talk about there, but to continue on, Genesis 3 says this, the woman saw the fruit of the tree and was good for, it was good for food and pleasing to the eye also desirable for gaining wisdom on her own, her own wisdom, not the Lord's in that case. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of the both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves to each other, or fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Um, so what, what I see in this passage, just taking on the, the topic of marriage, let alone um, broader theology and gospel and all that kind of thing, is, um, so Adam and Eve, uh, uh, God's promise made true in the taking of that fruit. They died instantly, and then they died gradually. So they experienced um, sin and death by redefining good and evil on their own terms. But they not only experienced a personal sin and death, they also began to experience um, the death of their marriage, the death of their relationship. They experienced divorce. So in one fell swoop, not only did the individuals begin to die, but their relationship began to die. Um, the thing that, that was set up on the individual was that they were going to follow God and sit by the tree of life. When they turned from that, they experienced that death. Beforehand, they, had, they were naked and unashamed, and then the, the text tells you clearly that now, because of this, relationship begins to die just as they did as individuals as they began to sow fig leaves. And so, whereas their strengths and differences were used to support and build one another up to walk with God and like God and for God, now, uh, a self-fulfilling kingdom, a self-centered kingdom began to present itself of with me, for me, like me. Mm-hmm. And the projections and the blame and the protection, protection or 
projections and the blame took the place of intimacy. And, and, so, and so how would I trust Kyra, you know, if, if she has her own definition of right and wrong? Like she might call what I call rest, she might call it lazy, you know? I, what, what I call uh, expensive, she might call worth it. What I call um, uh, clean, she might call dirty. And so when two different people are operating on their own kingdoms and defining what's right and wrong, now they fear each other as opposed to love each other because she's going to use my vulnerability against me and judge it. Mm -hmm. So this is where we live in the fallen world without Jesus, without the gospel, is marriage goes from with him, like him, for him to with me, like me, for me. I want you to come into my life. Mm -hmm. I want you to be like me. You should be made in my image. My, my family background, my origin, my, my values. I, you, you need to come over to, to my masculine you know, needs and self-desire and gratification so that you can live for me. And that's, that's the way that all Adam and Eve marriages begins in the old world, in the old you know, structure is marriage is about you coming to me. Mm-hmm. And, and it breaks down not only the individual, but it breaks down the marriage as well. Yeah, the moment broke down and they said, you know, we're gonna take this, I'm gonna judge this for myself. This looks good. I'm going to judge it for myself, and then we begin to judge one another, and then we each separate, and we're no longer in unity because we're not under the trust of the Father and what he says and the laws of his, his world and because we've taken that on ourselves. The pain gets even worse in the curse, as you can see in verse 16. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains of childbearing very severe. With painful labor you will give birth to children. So that painful labor uh, in, in the Hebrew is even more than just, you know, contractions. It's, it's the, whole, the whole concept of, of, of having the child. You know, will, will, I, will I be married? Can I get pregnant? If I have the baby, will it be safe? Will I be able to grow it up? Like the pain of raising the kid and the, and the risk of them getting sick and every time somebody breaks their heart and so every time somebody breaks up with them, like the mother feels the pain of that. That's... that's the pain and the father feels it too, but it's 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 isolating the woman, right? So in that way, that her painful labor. Now watch the parallel in the next verse. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. I think that's the definition of divorce, right there. That's where divorce happens. But verse 17 to Adam, he says, "Because you listened to your wife and ate from the fruit of the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Curses the ground because of you." And listen to what his pain is: through painful work, through painful toil, she experiences pain in her keeping. He experiences pain in his work. You know, she, she's more, more if, if, if tempted and, and tested and pulled, more likely to, to marry and to be um, focused, you know, overly focused perhaps on the home. The man is to, could, if he were to lean into his broken desires, be married to his job. And am I good enough? Am I strong enough? Will I succeed? Will I fail? Do I add value or do I take it away? And so both of them are experiencing pain, but what's hard is that they're experiencing it in different ways. I don't know if you've ever been somewhere before where somebody's experiencing pain that you're not experiencing, and it's like at every turn, it's very difficult because you're not empathizing with them, you know? Like, um, I remember one time my dear daughter Rose, we took her to Carowinds for her birthday, um, and she was uh, sick and nauseous, and this is, I guarantee, this is literally what I said to her. I said, do you want me to get you a Snickers bar? And both y'all said, what are you doing? Why, why would you get her a Snickers bar? And I'm like, because when I experienced that, I get lightheaded and dizzy, and I just want a Snickers bar, and that's like how, how I experience it. I'm just trying to empathize, and she's like, no, stop. Don't, don't do that anymore. You're not doing anything helpful right now. And so then, you know, Kyra was to the rescue and helped the problem. But the point is, is when we don't understand the pain of the other person, not only um, are we divided because, you know, we're doing with me, for me, by me, but also 
each of us are experiencing our own kinds of pain that's hard to understand and requires an incredible amount of testing and empathy. Mm-hmm. And so um, this is the way that, that I kind of uh, wrote it down and outlined. And why don't I hand this over to you in just a moment, make sure I don't say anything off-key or, or, or dumb or, or say something too strongly or something like that. But this is how I kind of read the text and, and experience and, and, and see sometimes what happens to the Eves in the world. Um, but without the gospel, um, Eve uh, could be more, more married to home than her husband. She could be more concerned with, with the home, the, the, the nurturing, the childbearing, the fear of what happens if something were to disrupt the keeping of the home because she's wired that way. And that's not a, that's not a bad thing. It, it, it can get taken askew, you know? So, for example, we were watching this show called Cake Boss one time, and this guy comes out with, like, this dad belly and this plaid shirt, and he starts building, like, this little base for this woman who's, like, building a cake. He is not good-looking. This is not Patrick Dempsey. I lean over to Kyra because I've been married, you know, for 15 years now, and I'm like, Kyra, I'm going to go out on a hunch right now, and I need you to educate me. But this guy... Looking the way that he does, doing what he does, is probably sexier to women than Patrick Dempsey. And she giggled and she said, you're absolutely right. Because this is the thing that I've learned, guys. Patrick Dempsey is a good-looking guy. Don't get me wrong. But if, if a woman caught Patrick Dempsey being selfish, arrogant, rude, she's taking dad belly every time. Like, she doesn't care. She wants boring Bob. She doesn't need sexy Steve. Because women are not trying, right? Like, like, we're so dumb, it's like, oh, like, you killed your sister, but you're really good looking? I guess I'll still marry you. Like, we, we're, we, we struggle with this, but women are wiser in this way, I suppose, it, it, is that the, the, the primary target here is keeping, and so she is looking for, here's the desire, somebody to keep with her, somebody to give, they want you to be responsible. That's all they want. They want you to take care of yourself, give your strength to the home. Because, the, because she, is, she, she is wired and, and in a godly way, desiring to not feed the kids Hot Pockets and Coke. That's not good enough. And, she, and, and the Lord put you in, look, I'm preaching to myself. The Lord, Oliver, put Kyra in your life so your kids don't grow up on Cheetos. And that's godly. And, 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 and so just because your left hand is her right hand doesn't mean she's a threat to you. And just because she's, you know, like, you know, challenging you or, or asking more of you, it doesn't mean that she doesn't think you're a man, she's calling you up into something that is Christ-like. And people that follow Jesus don't ignore that, you know? And they, and they want to sow their strength in because they're, they're working in the home and they're coming alongside the helper. <clears throat> uh, un, underneath control, I put this, if, if it were to go too far, the woman, it's, it, what is it, love and respect that book, like women who don't receive love withhold respect. And so that looks like all sorts of things in my notes. I just put things like, um, you know, she she might be concerned or, or fearful sometimes that work comes before home and that becomes a threat. She might speak negatively, you know, to the kids about the husband or to the in-laws or to the friends about the husband. Um, she might withhold care from him in places of fear. And so there is the balance of the new Eve in Christ and the old Eve, mm-hmm. you know, which is trying to pass away. Do you have any thoughts? Make sure you correct me if I said anything wrong on that. I don't want to speak no, on anyone's behalf. No, I think behalf. that's it. I mean, I think you can sum a lot of those up in a, a power struggle that begins to happen um, when, you know, we think that one position of a, is of more power versus another when, instead of recognizing just what potential is in um, each God-given position that we can't necessarily be everything all the time like but when we recognize who God's made me to be and who God's made you to be when we begin to call out strengths in one another instead of tear one another down um you know power struggle is just going to be a fight nobody's going to grow but as we submit to one another and humble ourselves um 
you know, that's when we can actually begin to grow. Grow mm. as multiplying and then grow, you know, in ourselves as well. So, I mean, I guess when you're, we're, you're summing all those up, I'm just saying, like, yeah, there's a, otherwise it's a power struggle. Mm. And we're not recognizing that God has put power in us. He's put strength, his strength in us. And we're trying to pull that from one another or hold our, our strength from the other. Hold each other in a, in a Yeah, in a control um, battle. So. I had, um, for Adam, uh, the old Adam is likely or could be likely to be married to his work. And by work, I don't necessarily mean nine to five, but just the, um, the ambition to be significant the desire to make a difference, you know, wherever that is, whether it's, you know, a young age sports or it could be occupation, it could be societally or whatever, but that desire to, uh, to work, to take, to take ground in, in areas of influence would be important to a man. So the fear is more on the working side. It's the fear of incompetency or um, inadequacy to work well. It's the fear of failure. It's the fear that I'm, I'm not good enough that I won't be able to supply or I won't be able to succeed or I won't be able to win. I'll, I'll lose. I'll be, uh, I'll be a loser. I won't, I won't be fruitful is, is, is part of a godly thing, which could be used in Jesus' name if it was submitted, submitted to the Lord and submitted to his wife. And so his desire is for Eve to keep um, him and keep his heart as he goes about trying to work, hopefully, unto the Lord. I thought about uh, the complimentary movie of, of Rocky. So I showed Kyra Rocky one time. She was not having it. Uh, I was ready to be about it. No, she, you were out. You were like, why is there roaches in this? No, he's not ready to get married. He needs to go get a job. Like, that was, like, how that went. <clears throat> and so, but, but it's like, right, so there's this classic, you know, almost um, archetypal, you know, picture of, of, like, Rocky's getting beat up, and he's all bloody, and, like, you know, what's her name? Adrian comes along and, like, you know, binds his wounds, and that's, and that's ultimately, like, such a significant thing, I think, in the love language of a man is, like, I know you want to keep the home. I know you want to keep the kids, but will you keep me as well? Will you keep me in your heart and keep me, you know, in, in, in your mind? And, and so I think that that is, um, yeah, the, the desire. And so then out of the control of that, if that's, if that's not happening, um, he will, a man without respect will withhold his love, and he will disengage and become passive and get on his phone and not you know, care about the kids and ignore them and so forth. And so the crazy cycle begins of without love, you know, mm-hmm. she treats him without respect and without respect, she treats him, he treats her without love. And so I guess Rocky and Cake Boss are just trying to square up and figure out life. <laughs> All right, the good news, y'all ready? Ephesians 5 says this, submit to, uh, to one another out of reverence for Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll ask you to speak to this just right off the cuff, Kyra, in a minute here. But verse 22, wives, submit to your husbands. As the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. For as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit, should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. And after all, no one who ever hated his own body, or no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you 
also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Mm-hmm. Uh, initial thoughts, just reading that passage? The just bookends on it that, you know, this profound mystery, this is speaking about Christ in the church. And um, I think the word submission has gotten pulled off track a lot. Um, but we're actually being called to be like Christ in that. In reverence for Christ, submit yourselves to one another. Um, you know, I, I think submitting looks a lot more like, um, you know, you submit a paper or you submit um, what you've learned, you know, to, to, to step into a place to share. Um, it, you're, you submit, okay, this is what I have. It may not be everything, um, but it's what I have, and I'm going to offer it. In reverence for Christ, because he took everything he had, and 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 because that that's who I want to be like. That's what he did for me. He took everything he had, and he and he came here for me, laid it down, and um, and took took all of all of my wrong on. So it, it it's not a, a place of being less than, but it's actually taking, acknowledging what God has given you, what strengths he's given you, the power that he's given you and your choice, and offering that. Um, it's a beautiful thing, and it's a picture of what the church looks like, is working, being his body, to not say, you know, well, I'm less because this, this part's more, or, you know, if we all were a hand, it, it, the whole body would not work. Um, and it's a delicate balance, the way that the body works. I mean, one small thing can throw it off, but it, it works together in um, chain reactions, and it, it takes all of it. And in that way, not one piece is less than the other. It's very different. Um, and so, yeah, those two bookends of um, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, we're doing it because of Christ, because I want to be like him. Because it's what he did for me, and um, it 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 puts it in its right place. That this is the way that the body is supposed to treat one another. We bring what we have, um, we give it to one another. I stay humble, um, and we could grow through that. You know, we better each other through that. I can learn from you. You can learn from me, and what I don't have, you might have. And to be able to call that out of other people. And, you know, like, I would lots of times say, hey, call, call my dad, ask him, you know, mm-hmm. about this or that, you know, so he can speak in about finances or about, you know, you, you just, you call on different people in your life when you see their strengths. And it's, you know, that's a humble thing to do. It's also a humble thing to say, listen, I don't have everything, but I'll give you what I do have. Mm-hmm. And so I just want to say that about submission, um, because submission um, can get, what's the word? Distorted. Distorted, yeah. yeah. Um, but the submission's a beautiful thing. It's it's for the purpose of growth yeah. and for the purpose of unity. Um, and I don't want that to get distorted because it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. You know, I see in Ephesians 5, like, it's not that women aren't supposed to serve and care for and speak this, the truth of the word to their husband. And it's not that husbands aren't supposed to be mutually submitted to their wives. It says right there. Yeah. I think the passage tends to echo in a way, Genesis 3, the curse, to call out of Adam, to call out of Eve, to lean out of their left hand. He's calling them to love them in their left hand, not their right. Mm-hmm. And that 
that is so subversive. That's such a salty thing to show to the world, to ourselves, to our partner, to not just love, us, love others when we feel like we're loved or love out of our strength or the thing we want to do, but to counterintuitively, in an inverted way, love with our left hand. And so, so, for example, like in the case of the woman, if the woman is feeling unloved, disrespected, forgotten, that the guy just wants to, one of our friends one time said when they were first married, this guy seems like he just wants to come home, eat, sleep, and make out. And she didn't say make out. And, uh, and, and, and so if the woman is feeling like the guy is, is just completely abandoning his post and, and, and wives feel like this from time to time, the gospel is calling them to treat their husbands like Christ treated them, not like he's treating them. And so the gospel becomes this call, this come and die call of, and don't get me wrong, in abusive relationships, in, in dangerous relationships, in toxic relationships, the Bible is not saying just stick around and get beat up, you know, and get abused for the rest of your life. So there's boundaries to that sort of a thing. But with inside of those boundaries, the call is to love when you feel like it and when you don't. And the call is to treat others not the way that they're treating you, but the way that Christ is treating you as, as you would Christ. Similarly, husbands, if, if the wife is um, completely, you know, um, you know, criticizing or speaking poorly to, you know, your friends and family and to the kids and being divisive in that way, then the temptation is to withhold and withdraw if it wasn't for the gospel. The gospel calls to go against that fearful nature. It says to serve, to, to, to wash everything in a man when the wife is, when they feel badgered, is saying, I don't want to be controlled, so I quit. And then the gospel says, don't do that. Love anyway. And so it's, so it's a matter of, like you said, submission. It's like turning in a paper, like, I'm going to submit this thing that I'm needing. I'm going to humbly give this to you and say, I would love for this to be better. But once it's been submitted, that's to the Lord. It's not just to them, it's to the Lord. And so there isn't nagging and manipulation and passive-aggressive and, and pushy and bringing up the past. It's just like, I'm loving you as the Lord. And I submit my need to you and I submit my heart. And it's an opportunity for you to love me back, but you don't have to take that opportunity. Mm-hmm. You can leave it on the doorstep if you want to. And many, many do. But if, if the gospel were to be the most important thing about the marriage, then in the time of the greatest testing and the greatest trial and hurt and heartache, when I don't feel that my husband is working alongside me to help me to keep the home or whatever, or keep the, 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 the image-bearing project, or when the husband feels that the wife is not following or is, is, not, um, is not engaging in her, in her vows, it's that time that we ante up. It's that time that we lean in to serve, to trust, to submit in both ways. And so that's what I think, you know, the, go- the gospel is doing, that the gospel is, is calling us to live with him, like him, and for him. And as we move towards him and we choose one another, then the world would see a miracle. Like last week, we talked about um, singleness. And in, in 2020, if you're single and celibate, like if you're single and not sexually active, you are preaching louder than T.D. Jakes, I promise you. I promise you people notice that. Like that speaks loudly. And if you are in a marriage, number one, if you're happily married, that's one thing. Number two is in circumstances when you shouldn't be happily married and in circumstances when the old Adam rears its head against the the Eve or the old Eve rears its head against Adam, when Adam and Eve surrender to Christ and love each other as Christ does the church and leans into their left hand and serves when they shouldn't and loves when they shouldn't. That is preaching a salty and bright gospel message. This is what the world needs to see, or see and hear more than more sermon series or Hillsong videos or whatever. They need to see marriages that are Christ-centered, that are with him, like him, for him, that identify um, the, the broken 
and the cursed nature of with me, for me, like me. Surrender that and lean into the gospel and love when it counts the most. This is what a new creation would look like. Yeah, and I don't want to miss saying, like, that's you. Like, that's you. It's not something we're trying to walk toward. We're going to grow, but be encouraged. Like, you are light. You are salt. You're different in this world, and it should look different. And sometimes that's painful. Sometimes it's awesome. But be encouraged. I mean, that's that's... That's what you're doing. You are salt. You are light. I just don't want to talk about it as if that's not who you are. Yeah. And I want you to leave encouraged, you know, with that, um, that you're living a different life, and it matters. Yeah. Um, I want to pray. Let's both pray. I would love to pray just whatever the Lord puts in my heart, and then you pray in a moment. And I'm going to have <laughs> Timothy to come up to close us um, in worship. But um, I think you, you bring up a great point. And um, all throughout this, this series... Um, if it's not something that he's already done and something that we're still trying to do um, on his behalf, then it's, then it's not quite saturated in the gospel. He has completed the work and he's done the work. And we are the new Adams and the new Eves if we are in him and if we believe in him. And if you've not yet trusted him um, for salvation and for new life, for eternal life um, and abundant life, um, today is the day that we can just receive him in faith and receive his cross on our behalf. That he saved us from sin he saved us from hell and punishment and that we can live freely and abundantly in him, in our marriages and beyond um, because of what he's already accomplished in Jesus' name. So let me pray for us and uh, you, you close as well, okay? And so, um, no, Father, we just need your grace and um, it's a war zone sometimes in marriage and um, it is some of the deepest places of hurt and fear and longing and unmet desire that goes on not just for fights in the kitchen but sometimes for years, and sometimes it's never resolved, and sometimes the opportunity is never capitalized. But Lord Jesus, I just, I just sense that your spirit would call us to more, to something higher than he said, she said, than the gender war, than I'm gonna keep mine and, and, and take mine and protect mine. And that somehow that you would just do a gospel work in us. And we thank you for the cross that you loved us when we were unlovely and that you took the nature of the servant and you went low. And, uh, and so that's what we ask in our marriages, not better counseling or psychological tips or five steps to it, like the gospel. With him, like him, for him. For all the young marrieds in the room, for those that are engaged, those that are single looking forward to married, or those that are divorced as they process backwards um, that we would use your definition alone that we are a people called by your grace not to live in Genesis 3 but to live in Ephesians 5 in our brothering and sistering in our mothering and our fathering and in our husband and wiving that we would be with you like you for you for eternity we thank you for your grace in us thank you Jesus for today Thank you, Jesus, that um, you are humble and that you chose us and that you made a way. Humble our hearts right now, Jesus, like yours is. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for um, making a way that we can boldly approach the throne of grace we won't be like you and um, 
We want to learn to submit in a holy way out of reverence for you, Jesus, and what you've done. We remember you, remember your body, remember your blood. We, we come into agreement with the cross right now. I pray that places that um, have defied you, Lord God, I you break humbleness, places where we've reared up in pride, I pray that your love would just drench those places, that you'd soften our hard hearts. And as blessed city lights um, with awareness of their choice every single morning that you give them, Lord God, to bless you, to bless others. Lord God, I pray that you call us to sacrifice. That we would look more like you. We would shine like you, Jesus. That we would be salty. I pray for an encouragement right now in this room. You are with us. That you would work through us. And we give our lives to you. Amen. Thanks again for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please give us feedback by leaving a comment on this podcast. For more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc.